Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. AM 570 KLAC, 98.7 KYSR, HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. AM 570. An LA sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Peterson. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney, Rodney Keaton. Available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. Let's do it. Fred Rogan, Rodney Pete on AM570 LA Sports. What o'clock. ED is on the show. Eric Dickerson. All football all the time. When we get to Eric and all of his stories, God knows what they'll be today. <laughs> but, but he'll be on starting at 1 o'clock. Okay. Let's get started with this. Uh, and let's do the college games off the top real quick, Rodney. Why not? Why right. not? It was a good weekend for me. Well, yeah. UC- USC won. Yeah, they did. Okay. Dylan Hernandez didn't think much of their win. Yeah, whatever. You know, Dylan, Dylan, you know, sometimes you got to take Dylan with a grain of salt. Dylan, sometimes he's just uh, not happy when he wakes up in the morning. I understand that. But do you think he has a valid point when you watch? Yes, they did beat Fresno State. Yes, they're 3-0. and Yes, they're still seventh in the country, but defensively, they need some work, Rodney. Of course. We've said that all along. We've said that all along, that they have, uh, you know, the offense is on par with anybody in the country, but they, they need work on defense. They've uh, needed work over the over the last few years. We, you know, with the addition of some skilled players on offense, they look like, you know, they can play with anybody on offense, but defense, we've said that is, is going to be a problem. But there's no reason why we can't celebrate the start that they've had Given the fact that we've dealt with the last four years at USC, it's it's kind of refreshing to see the excitement back in the Coliseum. So don't be a killjoy. Enjoy it while it lasts. I think most people, most people did not have, and I don't either, did not have USC winning the national title this year. No. But you wanted to see some improvement and you wanted to see some excitement back in the Coliseum. If they lose games, yes, it'll be because they lose a game 41-38, and they can't stop somebody. That's the way they probably will lose if they lose. Um, and the defense definitely needs work. So he's not speaking out of turn, but just let's be somewhat celebratory of the way the Trojans have started this year. Well, obviously, the addition of Caleb Williams has been huge. He is as advertised. And I'm wondering, if you look at the turnaround of the program so quickly, and we know that Lincoln Riley rebuilt the team through the transfer portal, basically free agency in college sports, uh, is this just a function of USC finally saying, all right, we know what we have to do. We've got to commit the resources. Uh, we have to commit the manpower. And we've got to relinquish control to someone that knows what they're doing. Lincoln, you've got it. We're paying you like you got it. Now go do it and turn this thing around. Yeah, I think so. I think a part of it is, you know, USC fell into the trap where Pete Carroll was a godsend. Came along at the right time. He was a professional coach. Once he got here and started winning, he started saying, if you want to turn it around, you got to give me some control. You got to give me some, you got to give me the keys to the kingdom. Pete got those keys and it worked and brought national titles, brought USC back. Pete leaves and they try to they try to continue what Pete has. Well, there's only one Pete, right? And they tried to resurrect Pete by Sarkeesian, by Lane Kiffin, 
Clay Helton to a certain extent. Ed Ogeron. I mean, they, they didn't hire Ed, but they tried to resurrect those days of the mid-early 2000s, and it didn't work. And eventually, they finally decided, hey, we gotta, we need to have a fresh start, fresh set of eyes on our university because one thing USC has done historically is take care of their own, and that's not a bad thing. You know, they, they have been loyal to their alums and the people that have some sort of lineage to USC. And sometimes that's worked in, uh, you know, to their fault because they've kept people lo- around too long. Well, I think they finally realized, starting with Mike Bone, I think, bringing him in from Cincinnati, we're going to fresh set of eyes on this thing. Let's bring in a coach, a proven coach. And what Lincoln Riley has done and the reason he's here is be, he he laid down the law. He, he said, if I'm coming, this is what I need, and this is what I'm bringing with me. So be ready for that. I mean, not just on the field, but there are some things off the field that Lincoln Riley's brought to the school that uh, a lot of people weren't going to get going somewhere else, and a lot of times USC did not offer that to, to head coaches. So, like what, Rodney? Well, I think the, the whole NIL situation is a, is, a, is, a, is a big business, right? So I think Lincoln Riley is one of the few coaches are really one of the early coaches that understood it to a different level. So bringing in an outside company like the Boulevard, bringing those guys in to really manage the NIL deal. So it's not a distraction for the players, and the players are not running around USC like a town without a sheriff and just with their chicken without a head cut off because everybody's trying to find their own deals. Now they have a company that is strategically there to manage all of those deals. So it takes a lot of the pressure off the coaching staff and the players. So he's done that. I think he's added people to the staff. You talk about analytics and all those type of things. Well, it, it's also involved in college sports as well. The staffing. We talk a lot about that, about Steve Ballmer, and you go in the front office and you look at and see, wow, they went from having, you know, five people in the front office. Now they got 25. And, and so he spent money in the athletic department. And he told them what they needed. So, and, and now they've got people, individual people, experts in their di- different fields, not one guy doing 10 different jobs. And is this a function of them not wanting to spend the money in the past, not believing they had to spend the money in the past? Because I, I, I agree with you. I think that's what yeah. this is. He just created the modern college football program, a successful one of today, and not living in the past like a mom and pop shop. Was yep. USC afraid to spend the money? Did they not know how to spend the money? I, I would say that they didn't. They didn't want to spend the money because their the success rate of and a lot of it is li- living in the past. You know, you think that you've got that brand and everybody's going to want to coach here. Everybody's going to want to play here. Those days left. They left when Pete left. Right, they were there for a minute. They went down, but those days of you can just roll your helmet out and it's just the cardinal and goal, and every high school recruit is going to come here. We saw that with with all the top recruits, or at least most of them, leaving town, going to the SEC or going to the Midwest, and that had to change. And that was the downfall of both USC and UCLA. They can couldn't keep local players in town, and so I think that mentality. Uh, was there at USC for a long time. USC notoriously was known for not paying its assistant coaches. So to get a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, running back coach, a a secondary coach, they weren't going to come here because Baylor was paying their assistant coaches twice as much. So as good as and as exciting as it is to coach in L.A. with USC, when you're making twice as much coaching at Texas Tech than you are at USC, then that person is going to end up at Texas Tech. So – they had to change their ways, and yes, I, I think it was just a little bit of a, you know, some stubbornness of 
listen, we're USC. We don't have to overpay. Well, they're finding out now that, yeah, you do. In order to, first of all, get it back, you're going to have to. And to maintain, you're going to have to put your money where your mouth is. Okay. Let's switch over now to UCLA uh, against that powerhouse, South Alabama. Oh, they, they won their third straight. But, uh, man, wow. Yeah. That, that one point? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to kick UCLA too hard on the opponents because you remember that Michigan game that was scheduled that got taken off the schedule. So they were slotted to play Michigan. But, man, to first off, you know, who they got? Bowling Green, then they got Alabama State, then South Alabama? Powerhouses. I mean, they got to have the whole state of Alabama except for the Crimson Tide pretty soon. Yeah. Um. But and we talked about the crowd the, the previous week and how ugly it was and embarrassing it was and now you know obviously we've got USC alums and one of the biggest Troy Aikman tweeting about how bad the crowd was and I think one thing that stood out in that tweet that he put out there um, was he talked about the crowd and how embarrassing it was and it is and we can talk about that but he also talked about how poorly they played on the field to have a one point win and a desperation win against Alabama State. No, South Alabama. South Alabama? I forget which one they play this week. Maybe they play Alabama State this week. No, they played Alabama Alabama. State before. Alabama State. Yeah. Southwest Louisiana, Alabama. That's next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A one-point win where they got to squeak it out against a team like that, that's just, it's unfortunate, and it can't happen. And it did happen. And that, too, is doubly embarrassing. When you have the crowd like it does, like they did, and then you barely beat a, a team like that. Well, you don't want to kick them when they're down. You're absolutely right. And we talked about this last week. They took that shot. Again, you could see the end zone. One person. The Rose Bowl seats 100,000 people. UCLA drew 29,000 people. Troy Aikman tweeted it was embarrassing. He also pointed out when he played at UCLA, the crowds weren't much bigger. Well, they were bigger. Yeah, but his point was... Yeah, we couldn't draw. When we were number one in the country, we couldn't sell it out. Right. It was barren. It still appeared to be barren. And it is embarrassing to UCLA. It is embarrassing to play in that stadium with no fans. It would be better if they weren't even on TV. Yeah. And that, you, you go, oh, my God. Because you can't pan. You can't hide it you know, on there, TV. No. I mean, it really looks bad. And it's something that they should address. And they should address it quickly. Uh, but this was something that they talked about for years, right, Fred? For yeah. years about... When all that talk was going on around, you know, a stadium in L.A. for an NFL franchise and where they're going to put it, um, those start those talks started to rumble about UCLA should have a, a stadium on campus somewhere, and that never happened, never materialized. But now more than ever, uh, they absolutely need it. And he he suggested they just put a thirty thousand seat stadium on campus somewhere. And I say, why not? It works. I, right? You know what? Better to make it seem like it's sold out. Than three quarters empty. Yeah. Sell every seat. It looks better than being half empty. I mean, I think about where Haley went. If they got a big game, right? If they got a huge game, would they go just rent out SoFi and go play there? You could do that. Or you know what? We're still drawing 30,000. We're playing on campus. I I was going to say, Haley, of course, went to Oregon State. Go Beavs. I think USC has the Beavs this week. They do. In Corvallis. Yes. At Reeser Stadium. Don't rain. Don't rain. Uh, I'd been to that stadium a number of times. I went up there to visit her, and we went to some football games. It's on campus. It's easy to yep. walk to. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know how many people had seats. It was mostly full. 
I mean, but when she was there, they were Oregon State and not very good. But still, it was mostly full. It was an event. You had alum show up. You had students go to the games. It was a nice atmosphere and a nice environment, and you really felt like you were at college football. 26,400. That's what research seats. Is that what it seats? Yes. Okay. You know what? And I think to that point, I remember when I played Autzen Stadium at Oregon. And Oregon's been, you know, kind of, they've had their good years too. Even when I was playing, they, they were they were good teams. Rich Brooks was a coach. They just filled it up. But it was only 40,000, I want to say. It was a 40,000 seat stadium. They may have uh, increased it now, but it was 40,000. But that 40,000 was loud and it was packed for every single game. Yeah, that's now 54 at Austin. Yeah. So still not that huge, not that yeah. big, but but packed and loud. But it was right there so everybody could, you know, get to it and and they didn't need it they didn't need a big stadium so similar to ucla they don't need one the point is you want an environment of excitement uh you want a loud environment Thirty thousand people is nothing to sneeze at if you can draw thirty thousand. and troy's point put it on stadium make it on on site and make it thirty thousand people that's fine you don't need to say we play in a hundred thousand seat stadium no there's no win in that for you there's no win in that for UCLA. It simply isn't. From what I understand, it sounds like there's a lot of red tape they'd have to cut through. Yep. They don't own a lot of the land around the campus, and residents don't want the additional traffic because we all know traffic around there is a you-know-what anyway, and they think it would just make it even worse if you have games that are being played there. Yeah, but isn't traffic a you-know-what everywhere? To a degree, yes, but even, I mean, over there is pretty bad. Yeah, it is, and we're Anytime talking. But here's the thing: that's that's a, that's such a cop out because we're not talking about we're not talking about every day. You're talking about what six, six Saturdays. Saturdays? Yeah, six Saturdays in the fall on a you know on the weekend. You're not talking about like basketball or you know going to poly on a weekday. It's it's a Saturday afternoon, and so it's not really you dive into it. It's really not going to be that bad when it comes to uh, comes to traffic. Wasn't wasn't another spot across the, across the freeway over there by the baseball field by Jackie Robinson Field was another spot that they were thinking about, but but Drake would be the perfect situation. Yeah, the the talk has been renovating Drake Stadium and just yeah. making that into like a mini football field that they can play on. Many yeah. meaning like you know thirty some th- some right. thousand fans that can fit in there. But that Which works perfect. fine. That works fine. You know because if you bring a recruit into that facility, it seats thirty thousand, and it's loud. And it's looks exciting. Cool. It looks cool. Yeah. The fans are right on top of the action. You Think about it. If it was like LAFC stadium. stadium, like an LAFC stadium. Oh, yeah. That would look so cool on campus to a recruit coming in. Just think about that. Yeah. Or you can play here in the cavernous 100,000-seat Rose Bowl. Look how many people could come but don't. The point is just put people in the stadium, and kids will like that. They'll feel a part of it. But if you go to this gigantic ar- arena and expect people to show up, you're not going to have it happen. It's really a bad look for UCLA. And this year, for whatever reason, it's so bad with those games being televised the way they are, it, it makes them look small. Let me ask you, do you think, and I know, didn't they just sign a new deal with the Rose Bowl too? They, they did. Yeah. Do, do you think it would change even a little bit if they if they had their games at SoFi? I still think it'd be very traffic. It'll be empty, yes. Yeah. But as empty for for UCLA folks to travel to Pasadena to the Rose Bowl, that's a trek, especially for the students. No, I agree with you. Do I think it would? My guess, right here, talking to you. Yeah. It would look as empty. 
I don't think they draw yeah. anymore. I think they draw what they draw. Yeah. I think that's the bottom line. They draw what they draw. If Lincoln Riley is the coach and they've invested hundreds of million dollars into the football program and all of a sudden they vault to the number one spot in the country and they're as good as an SEC team, we might have a different conversation. But the reason we'll never have that conversation is because they're never going to do that. So I think it is what it is. They draw what they draw. UCLA basketball wins, they draw more. UCLA basketball doesn't win, they draw what they draw. The football program is not going to draw more than 35,000 a game. That's just me. And I could be very yeah. wrong. So create an environment where those 35,000 seem like 350,000. Create an environment where those people are so passionate and make so much noise that kids want to go and play there. This is very short-sighted yeah. playing at the Rose Bowl. It's embarrassing. It is. I mean, you, how do you take... Like I was at the game Saturday night and... and it's with every school. They have a number of recruits come in for the weekend and they go and wine and dine them for the weekend, take them to the games and they go on the field before the games. How embarrassing is that for recruits to go to UCLA? Say you're a recruit, you're a top five or, you know, you're a five-star recruit and your trips are, you know, you're going to visit Ohio state, say Notre Dame, and you're going to go to Georgia and, and maybe Alabama. And then you're going to take a trip to, or, or take a trip to USC and UCLA. And your last trip is UCLA after you've seen all five of those other ones. And you go in there on a Saturday to watch a US, UCLA game. Looks like you're at a Gora High School in a Pop Warner game. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> you know, you got some parents there and some friends. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you could tell them point blank, hey, if your family wants to come here, I assure you there'll always be a good seat for them. Oh, Fred. Always whoa, be a good seat. Whoa. UCLA's motto at this point should be, come on out and watch the football team. There's always a good seat available. And when nobody's looking, you can move to the front. I can guarantee you that as well. You can pay the least amount for a ticket, and you can end up at the 50-yard line. How long do they have on that lease? I think through 2044. 2044. Oh! (laughs) I know they're getting a lot of Big Ten money, but I don't know if they can use literally every cent of it to buy themselves out of the Rose Bowl contract because that might be what it takes. Oh. Oh, man, Freddie. I'm telling you. It's bad. I mean, they'd be better off playing at Dignity Health. That's what they should have done, Rodney. They should have said, you know what, we're going to play Dignity Health for a couple of years, and we're going to try to figure out if we can build a, a stadium on campus. In the meantime, we're going to Dignity Health. Yeah. 25000 We'll be close to filling that place. Yep, right down to 405, right down the road. Just zip down. It's a great facility. We'll have a great time. That's what they should have done. But by doing what they did, they, they've embarrassed themselves. Just a bad I mean, literally, thing. as many people that were, think about it, many people were in the Rose Bowl, they actually could have played that game at Drake. Yep, and exactly. Everybody sat on that one side where the stadium is, where the track stadium is. They... As many people were in the Rose Bowl, 29,000. That's a 30,000 seat. There were 29,000 in that Rose Bowl. No they may reported that, that. You don't think? No, no. way. Oh, Absolutely hell no. not. Hell no. Well, the fact that there case, were 29,000 in that stadium, the way they took that shot? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, if that's maybe, the case. Maybe 2,900. Okay. Then they could have played at Pierce College. Rams needed to get well, did they? And the Raiders come from ahead to lose.
Our insider, Vinny Bonsignor, joins us next. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. If you missed any of Rogan and Rodney, you can podcast it on the iHeartRadio app. Rogan and Rodney. AM570 LA Sports. Oh, yeah. We hope you had a fantastic weekend. What a wild weekend in sports, in the NFL, college football, shakeups. Before we know it here in a few weeks, my Trojans are going to be in the top five. It's all good, Fred. Be careful what you wish for. They might be. I mean, looking at the landscape now, at some point, very soon, I think they could be in the top five. Some teams are going to play each other. They're going to drop out. Yeah. Well, it, it certainly would be remarkable just quickly for Lincoln Riley to get yeah. them to where they're at. Yeah. Remarkable. Okay, two get well games, I thought, this weekend. One for the Rams, one for the Raiders. We bring on Vinny Bonsignor, our NFL insider and dear friend. Vinny, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we? We're doing well. Let's start with the Rams, closer to home. Then we'll get to the debacle that you witnessed. Uh, the, the Rams won, but by no means did they look smooth, firing on all cylinders, and mistake-free. Is this just a function of the players now starting to really play and get into the season, or are there more concerns here? Yeah, um, I you know the the story that all my colleagues in Los Angeles wrote about the Rams yesterday was the one I thought I was going to write about the Raiders last night. Um, you won, you accept it, but you're not really happy about it. There's still a lot to get, uh, a lot of wrinkles to iron out, a lot of uh, things to get smoothed over. And and here's the thing. That's not the necessarily the worst thing right now. Do you really want to be playing your best football week two? Um, no. You want to be playing your best football when it really counts down the stretch. The, the, the issue is you have to win those games, even though the ones where you're not playing your best, you've got to still figure out a way to win those games until you start hitting your stride. And the Rams did that, so give them credit for that, even on a day where Things look pretty good at one point, but then they look really bleak at another point because they're just not quite there, uh, hitting on all cylinders, but at least they won. And that's the that's the important thing in the NFL because as we saw yesterday, look, the Bengals are 0-2. Teams are struggling uh, to figure out ways to win even uh, during this, this period of time where they're still trying to figure it out. That's what the Raiders thought they had a game one where they were going to look back and say, not playing our best football, but we still won. But even th- they can't even say that uh, at this point. At least the Rams can. Yeah, and in terms of the Rams, I mean, you got to win ugly, as you just mentioned. You got to have those games where you don't play well, and you find a way to squeak it out. The Rams had some of those last year, and they'll they'll have them every year. That's the teams that look up in December and January and go, "Ooh, yeah, remember that week three win? That was that was beneficial for us getting that bye." So you, you got to win those games. But when you look at the Rams and, and so far this week, you know, a couple of games under under their belt, you know, in week one it was the concern was definitely the offensive line. Buffalo manhandled the Rams' offensive line, got sacks on Stafford, and just without even blitzing. 
when you look at it now, we're through week two, and yes, they got out to a big lead, and maybe they took their foot off the gas because they were up 28-3 at one point, but then they had some turnovers and then just was sloppy down the stretch, Vinny. What, what concerns you if you're a Ram fan right now? That they're not hitting on all cylinders, and, and that, that, you know, if you're a Ram fan, you hope that they will eventually, but there's no guarantee uh, that they will. Um, my money is on the Rams getting it figured out uh, in a way that, uh, that gives them a chance each week more often than not, uh, but they aren't. Uh, but then I, guess I look around the NFL, who really is right now? I mean, it's two games no. into the season. Nobody uh, is. Really but is it, is it the offensive right. line, Benny? And specifically, is it offensive line play? Is it the turnovers? If it's, is it secondary? When you look at the Rams, what do you think it is? Because I, I, I tend to think that, because, look, Andrew Whitworth's not walking back through that door. They're going to struggle with the teams that they play, and, and and they got, you know, a couple of them in the division now that it feels like the 49ers got a new new life, and you hate to say that based on injury, but they got new life to they, they're talking about winning now. Uh, and they've always had a great defense and had the Rams number. I, I just look at that offensive line and go, how can they get better? That's going to be a, a concern all season long. I completely agree because I know it's a cliche to say this, but the, the, the truth of the matter is winning in football, you got to control both lines of scrimmage. It doesn't matter how many weapons you have. It doesn't matter how many toys you can tap into if you can't get it to that point where you have enough time to, to use all of those. That's what's going on in Cincinnati right now. What is there, 13 sacks uh, that Joe Burrow um, has suffered the most, I think, in, in two games and maybe forever. Um, you know, they have to go look back, back and check. But if you can't control the line of scrimmage, it's, it's almost pointless how many weapons you actually have. So for the Rams, they've got a lot of weapons. They've got a great quarterback who looked a lot better yesterday throwing the ball. They've got a decent group of running backs and – but, but, but if they can't control it um, at the line of scrimmage, then you're always going to be susceptible. You're not going to be able to control it. And that's the worry that I have for the Rams is that um, they're not going to be able to be more than a, than a pretty good offensive line when, 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 they really, when they really need them to be a very good offensive line. And like you said, you know, you're going to have to just live with Joe Nopeboom and, and, and the fact that he's just not Andrew Whitworth and figure out a different way. But it sure does help. The whole operation, uh, when you can have confidence in the offensive line to open up running game, run, run holes and then also give your quarterback consistently enough time to throw the ball, I don't know if they're, they're not there yet. That's for sure. And I don't know if they're going to be able to get to a point where they are. Okay, let's switch over now to the Raiders. Good Lord, what happened in the second half? How did everything fall apart for them? Yeah, um, they're just, you know, the, the Raiders have played four good co- uh, quarters of football. The problem is they've played eight quarters in total. And uh, the, eight, the, the four bad quarters that they've had have, has cost them literally two games. And you just go back and look at that game last night and it was, or yesterday, and it was, you know, four times they had the Cardinals on fourth down in that second half, in that fourth quarter. And all four times, Basically, Kyle Murray figured out a way to convert those those first downs, those fourth downs into first downs, and a new set of downs. Twice, two two-point conversions on those two touchdowns that the Cardinals had to have or else, and they were able to convert them. It, when you look at those fourth down, the four fourth downs and the two two-point conversions, all the Raiders need, needed was a stop in any of those in any of those six plays, any of those six snaps. If they just got one stop. They win that game. And then they get into overtime, 
They get the stop they needed in overtime, got the ball back to their offense. They're literally marching into field goal range. They were into field goal range. And then the normally shorthanded Hunter Renfro loses the ball on a fumble, and they go from being in field goal range to win a game to the ball's getting raced back 59 yards for a game-winning touchdown the other way. So um, it's just, again, kind of like the Rams and a lot of other teams right now, um, they just, they're not firing on all cylinders. They're playing good football here, but then bad football there. They haven't been able to put together four good quarters uh, of football, and it's literally cost them two games. Uh, like Josh McDaniel said, you got to start being able to win while you're learning. You can't just be learning these lessons and losses. You got to figure out a way to learn those lessons, but still be able to win the game. The Rams did that yesterday. There were a lot of lessons, I'm sure, that Sean McVay has for his team on how to close out games and be better and be more efficient, but at least he can say it in a winning game. Josh McDaniels has to teach more lessons in a loss, and that becomes really frustrating really quick. Benny, what does it say? We've been to two weeks. I think we look at the Rams um, opening night against Buffalo. They got they got waxed, and, and we kind of chalk it up to Buffalo's ahead of everybody right now. They're pretty good. And the Rams didn't play that well, and come you know with the new makeshift offensive line, and, and, and for the most part back. But and like you mentioned, got the win yesterday against the Falcons. But when it comes to the Raiders, is it a factor of maybe the Raiders aren't as good, or is it that the Cardinals Cardinals are pretty good? Because week one against Kansas City, I thought the Cardinals. Oh God, they're in for a long season. Cardinals are not very good, and then they go into Las Vegas and come back and, and beat the Raiders, what does that say more about the Cardinals or does it say more about the Raiders got to get their stuff together? Man, it's kind of a little bit of both because the Raiders were up 20 to nothing. And, and you know, you look back at last week at halftime, the Chiefs were up 20 to 7, I think it was, or 23 to 7, something like that. But the, the Raiders were in better shape yesterday than the Chiefs were after the first half last week. And, like, they, they were up 23 to 7, Rodney with eight minutes left to play, just over eight minutes left to play. It looked like the Cardinals were going to be going back home with another disappointing loss and having to answer all these questions. Here's what happened to me anyway. The, the Raiders left just enough of a door open for Kyler Murray to get it figured out and become the best player on the field. It kind of reminded me of a few times when I was covering the Rams where they were in a close game and had their chance against the Seattle Seahawks, had a chance to put it away. And then it got down to the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, and there was just enough room for Russell Wilson to go make plays and win a game kind of all by himself. That reminded me yesterday. What Kyler Murray did reminded me of some of those games that a Russell Wilson had uh, to beat the Rams uh, late in games. And it's really frustrating, but it teaches you the lesson that when it comes to players like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, who can beat you in all sorts of ways. I don't know if you guys saw the two-point conversion oh, where yeah. he ran about 80 yeah. yards. 28 seconds that I played play. Yes, exactly. I was sitting there going, what the heck is going on? But that's the kind of player that he is. And if you give any of those type of players just a little bit of a uh, door opening, they're going to they're gonna push their way through. And he did. And he became the best player on the field. What does it say about the Raiders? They're a good team. And that's what's so frustrating to them is they know they're a good team. They know they've got playoff caliber talent. Um, but you can't get there. And you can't win games by playing just a couple of good quarters. That's not going to get it done. Not at this level. Look at the look at the Cleveland Browns <laughs> losing to the Jets. Look at the, the Ravens 
letting the Dolphins uh, come back in. You've got to close the deal in the NFL. The players are too good. The opposition is too good. I feel like the, 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 the talent disparity between teams is getting closer and closer now. It's not like I, I can't see a team that's just a juggernaut. Maybe the Buffalo Bills will show us tonight that they're a juggernaut. Um, you know, and, they're, and they've got the kind of talent that, that could just crush people. But it really feels early in the season anyway. Like there aren't that many teams, and there's just a lot of, um, you know, uh, parity now. And if you give a team an opening, if you give a team an opportunity, if you don't take care of business when you have the chance to do that, you're susceptible to, to, to a team coming roaring back. And that's what we saw yesterday over and over again, including the Raiders. Vinny, we appreciate you jumping on. Thanks so much for the info as always. All right. Have a great week. We'll talk to you later on. Okay, there goes our buddy Vinny Bonsignor. Uh, today's Modelo Monday with Petros and Money. Listen starting at 3 and watch on Instagram. It's not a real michelada if it's not made with Modelo. Modelo Especial, brewed with the highest quality ingredients for a taste that's pure gold. Please drink responsibly. Rodney, get ready. Eric Dickerson's here at 1 o'clock. Hey, hey baby. All right, Dodgers uh, wrap things up with the Giants for the regular season. Enough of the West. This is mind number. <laughs> it's just mind number. Come on, friend. So sick of seeing these teams. Oh, there was something interesting that happened yesterday in San Francisco. A friend of mine just sent me a picture. We'll Uh-oh. talk about that next. And now another Rogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah! Afternoon delight. Get her name and get her number. Find out all of the things that we have in common. Come on. Never Let's go. Today's afternoon delight is... I don't think that I like her by Charlie Puth. The 30-year-old singer-songwriter recruited Travis Barker as a featured artist on this track, which is set to appear on his upcoming album entitled Charlie, which will be released on October 7th. In a statement, he wrote, this album was born on the internet. And I've had so much fun making it in front of all of you this past year, 2019. We used to think that in order to be an artist, you had to hide away and talk to nobody and make your art. Turns out, you make much better art when you involve millions of people in the process. Again, today's afternoon delight is I Don't Think That I Like Her by Charlie Puth featuring Travis Baca. I know I don't like the schedule. I'll tell you that when it comes to oh. the Dodgers. Oh. I don't like it one bit. I'm sick of it. I'm just tired of it. Brett Shepard, who listens to the show, tweeted and agrees. My God. I mean, it's like every time you turn around, they're playing the teams in the West. I know the West is weak, and I know the Dodgers are really good. And if it was different and the division was more competitive, you might look at it differently. But the West is so bad. I mean, Arizona, again, they just finished pummeling the Giants. By the way, uh, my friend Carlos Hopkins sent me a picture. One of his buddies was at the game in San Francisco yesterday. Yeah. And took a took a, a picture and uh it looked like a Dodger home game. Yeah. There were so many Dodger fans there that is really unusual. Maybe they just packed it up up there as well. Well they did pack it up, Fred. They're out of it, right? So they are out of it. And more Dodger fans are are in it. They're witnessing somewhat of history going on with the Dodgers a little bit. So there's, And there always has been a lot of Dodger fans in the Bay Area. It just so happens that they were able to accumulate those tickets nowadays because the Giants are out of it. Um, and I do hear what you're saying. They do play an awful lot. But let me ask you, do you think over the next uh, three to five years or so, um, and I would say this because we, we both have 
a lot of love for Farhan. We do. And and the job he has done up there already and, and the, that he will do. I think he will keep those those guys very competitive. Um, and I hope that they do. You know, think what you will or say what you want about Gabe Kapler. I think he's a good manager. And if they can stay consistent, I think they'll have those guys in the mix on a regular basis. And then you talk about San Diego. If San Diego is able to keep Juan Soto, even though they, they got him for the next couple of years at least, if they're able to keep him and get him long-term, along with Machado, along with Tatis, that's going to be a formidable team over the next you know three to five to seven years. So that it is going to be competitive. Now, I can't say the same about the Rockies and the Diamondbacks because they're going to be at the bottom of the division. But going down the stretch, knowing that at the end of the year, you're going to be playing the Giants, you're going to be playing the Padres, and it's going to be battle for the division over the, you know, I think that could be pretty cool, Freddie. And I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, all right, fine. Down the stretch, that's great. But 18 times is too much. And now next yeah. year, the schedule is going to change. Right. And everybody's going to play everybody. everybody. Yeah, everybody plays there, which I do like. I do too. Teams that you never see come to Dodger Stadium. Uh, we're going to start seeing those teams. I, I think it's something cool to that. Um, I just think the, the 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 NL West races are going to heat up for the years to come. It's going to be kind of interesting to see, and all of them are going to have some importance to them, unlike this year. I think they'll, they'll all have some importance down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Julio Urias. When you talk about who should win the Cy Young, is it fair to say that is a guy that has to be seriously considered? What's he have, 17 wins this year? Second most in the majors. Yeah. Yeah. 17 wins. And always the guy that gets overlooked. He's 17 and what, Kevin? 17, 17 and 5? 17 and something? 7. And he has the, seven. after this past weekend, uh, now has the lowest ERA in the NL, just wow. ahead of uh, Alcantara, Alcantara in Miami. So he's leading the league in, in, in ERA. He's got the most wins. Most wins in, uh, in uh, ERA, best ERA in the National League. Yes. Yeah. And... And again, because we say this almost every year about Julio, never gets the respect that he deserves. Never gets the respect. I mean, he was the only 20-game winner last year, and he wasn't even a thought in terms of Cy Young. You know? So, yeah, he should be in the conversation, definitely be in the conversation. Do you think the absence of uh, the absence now and him being on injured list, Tony Gonsolin has just moved way out of the, way out of the conversation because out of sight, out of mind, and he, he, he kind of, burst on the scene and nobody knew about him. He had this breakout year, so people don't really give him a whole lot of credit for the year he's had. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he's just kind of uh, evaporated in that conversation. Unfairly yeah, so. Shame. Yeah. Unfairly so. Yeah, because what's his record, Kev? He's still, what, 16, 17, and 1? Yeah, something like that. Just the one loss, I believe, still. Yeah. But yeah, he's just to your point. Out and of he's, a, of he's a yeah, he's a ERA under three too as well, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think your best shot is Julio now. Sixteen and one, uh, two point one zero ERA. It's lower than Julio's, huh. but I think because of the injuries, uh, I don't think he qualifies at the moment with the innings pitched. Is what's holding him back from that. Wow. So wait, so he doesn't qualify with innings pitched. He's only missed, what, three weeks or three starts, four starts? I'm looking at his ERA at 2.10, but if you look at the actual league leaders in ERA, his, uh, his, he's not listed on there. Wow. And Julio's, I think, is 2.27 at the moment. Doesn't feel like he's missed that much to be out of the contention. What's he missed, three starts now? 
Three or four? Can't be more yeah. than that. No, it's not more than that. Mm-mm. Huh. Mm-mm. Interesting. He don't get any respect either. People think, you know, yeah, let it, you know, when he was 5-0, and oh, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, wait till he gets, you know, more in the meat of the season. Yeah, one of those guys, right. Yeah. One of those he guys. kept winning and kept winning and kept winning. Oh well, his ERA's over three, so we, you know, wait till he gets. Got It's definitely got to be under two for him to be any consideration. Now it's what barely over two. Yeah. All right, we're getting ready at the top of the hour for Eric Dickerson, and Eric is ready to go right now. Eric is getting ready. Yes. Eric is ready. Ed is always I'm, ready, Freddie. I'm ready, ready, Freddie. All right, Eric. <laughs> how are you, Eric? I'm good. How you doing, Bandana Fred? I'm, sure, I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Fred thought you forgot, E.D. <laughs> he thought you forgot. <laughs> I can't forget that. So uh, after yesterday's Rams game, was it reason to celebrate or reason to be concerned? Well, both. I mean, look, it's all about winning football games. You, you want to win. That's the most important thing, Fred. And you're not going to win pretty all the time. I, I think this, the, the most um, – I think – Concerns we have, I still see as offensive line. I mean, protecting the quarterback, being able to run the football. I think that's the question. I mean, you know, you, we lost Andrew Whitworth, um, and we lost another guy. I think yesterday, um, but that was well, what was it? An ankle, knee? I don't know what it was, but I saw because I was there only a quarter and watched some of the game, and I watched the rest of it on my on my phone. But you know, they have a, a lead thirty-one ten, and then come down to possibly losing the game, three turnovers at the game. At the end of the game, you had a fumble to, to you know, um, Matt Stafford threw two interceptions. You can't keep yeah. throwing these interceptions. I mean, that, that that's hurting the football team because what's going to happen is you're going to throw, throw those in big games. But it's early. I mean, it's early in the season. Uh, I don't think anyone's playing great right now. I mean, Buffalo beat up on us, you know, like a, a week ago, a couple of, like, like a week ago. Yeah. I think they're playing, they're playing good football. That's one week. But you want to be playing your best football in week 9, 10, 11, you know, and have a healthy football team. That's the most important thing. It's just if you win these games, you won the game, that's all that really counts. All right. Eric is ready and set to go, and so are we for NFL Football Monday. Join Petros and Money Wednesday, September 28th, live from Morongo Casino Resort and Spa, along with Tim Cates from Morongo Casino Dodgers on deck. Prizes include Dodger tickets, cash cards, gas cards, and more. Details on Instagram at AM570LA Sports, Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Good times. ED is here, and we'll kick it all off right after the break. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.